Yes, I didn't live the perfect life the, the way the footballer should have done. I mean, okay, I like to be and I like to smoke. Um, that's the way I was. It got me in trouble when I was young, when I was an apprentice. Um, I had a story where John Pickering, the youth team and reserve team manager, he said, I'm going to tell the manager about you smoking, you shouldn't be doing this. I got sent into Jim Smith, who's still the manager. I got sent to his office. And Jim was sat the other side and he um, he just said, look, Simon, if you're going to smoke, smoke, but don't let the coach know that you're smoking. Do it away from the ground. I said, and I stuck by that and I did that. So, uh, and yes, I used to like to have a pint after the game of football. That's the way I was. Welcome to the latest episode of Wearing the Red and Green. In this week's show, it was an absolute privilege to speak with our former striker, Simon Garner. Simon is best known for being Blackburn Rovers, his all-time record goalscorer. Wearing over 500 games for the Lancashire club, he scored just shy of 200 goals. We discuss some brilliant stories from Simon's career, his new book, One Last Shot, which is now available to buy at Simon Garner Book. .co.uk. And of course, we discuss those four goals for us away at Northwood. But before we get going, let's listen to some commentary from the great Martin Tyler. I hope you enjoy the episode. Played towards Garner and he's still got it away from Taggart. A great moment for a great servant of Blackburn Rovers Football Club. He's rewritten the history books. And he's certainly won a vital match here. There can be no way back for City now. The salutes are for Simon Garner. Garner. Oh, that's brilliant. Wonderful hat-trick. Simon Garner. A superlative display. It's turning into an exhibition from Ghana. Simon, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really appreciate it. How are things? Uh, Everything's good, thank you. I mean... um... It's a bit chilly outside. I've just been outside to have my last cigarette, so uh, I've come <laughs> back in now, ready to do this. <laughs> perfect, perfect preparation. Perfect. Oh, preparation. it is, yeah, definitely. That's how I used to prepare for my football games as well. So <laughs> we'll definitely be coming on to that. We'll definitely be coming yeah. on to that. Now, listen. Before we get talking about your career, your new book is out. One last shot. How was the How was the whole process behind the book? And um, are you glad it's finally out there? I'm glad it's finally out there. I mean, it can be ordered online. I'm plugging it a bit now. No, no, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, it it can only be bought online before Christmas. Yeah. SimonGarnerBook.co.uk. Yeah. But the process of doing it, I mean, I wrote one 20 years ago, and this is an update of it, what's happened. And it's a lot of the old book is still in there, but there's a lot more contributors to it. A lot of famous people, I mean... 
Ozzy Ardeal is Martin O'Neill, Kenny Dalglish, people like this, and ex-players I played with. And um, to be truthful, I didn't have to do a lot of the work. Um, Dan Clough gave me a lot of credit, and Richard Slater as well, who wrote the first one yeah. and helped with the second one. They found all the background information. They phoned me up, talked me through it. I'd read it on an email. If I needed to change anything, I just crossed a few things out or added a few things to it and left them to it then. I love it. Were you were you were you ever though randomly messaging them at crazy times of day saying I've suddenly thought of something? Oh no, not at all. No. <laughs> Crazy times of the day, I'd more or less be asleep. <laughs> it, it was more of them that used to message me. They'd message me at funny times, and I wouldn't get that message till the morning after. My phone would be on silent, and I wouldn't be reading the emails or anything. So I'd make them wait till the day after. <laughs> well, listen, got a ton of questions to throw at you. Um, so no really problem. looking forward to this. Um, so I guess to start with, winding the clock back to a, to a young Simon Garner. Was- yes. Was football always your passion? As I did read somewhere that there was a little bit of cricket talent in uh, in. Um, a lot of kids say this when they was young. A lot of people say when they was young they wanted to be a footballer. I did from the age of five or six years old. I've been mean, mind not set on being a footballer, but wanting to be one. Did all right at secondary school. I went to a grammar school, which I was lucky to do. How I got in there, I'll never know, but I passed me 11 plus. <laughs> and uh, they played cricket as well there. It was a football and cricket school. There was no rugby, luckily. Yep. Um, I got in the cricket team as well. I had, um, And I finished up having a trial for the uh, for Lincolnshire at cricket. And I turned up for the trial, enjoyed it, but I didn't get put through for it. So it was back to the football. But it, football was always the first choice. Right, love that. And what was your journey to Blackburn? I've, I've been to trials at a lot of football clubs. I've been to Knott's Forest, I've been to Ipswich, I've been to Peterborough, uh, Derby County, Hull City. Uh, the one before the Blackburn one, I went to Scunthorpe for a trial, came back home and then all of a sudden... The secretary of Boston United at the time ran a pub team on a Sunday. I played for his pub team on a Sunday when I was 16. I mean, yes, I did have a few points after the game at 16. <laughs> but <laughs> And Jim Smith used to be the manager, the Blackman manager. He was the manager at Boston United. And uh, he said to John Blackwell, the secretary, if you get any young kids, if you know of any young kids, send them up for a trial. So I went up to Blackburn on a trial. Um, after the trial, last I think it was two weeks of trial. In the second week, funnily enough, I got an offer from Scunthorpe to be an apprentice there. But I waited till the end of the Blackburn trial and Blackburn offered me an apprenticeship as well. I think there was one or two divisions above Scunthorpe. Yeah. But also Scunthorpe offered me £8 a week and... Blackman gave me £16 a week, so I took the £16. <laughs> and how, and so you obviously done your apprenticeship at Blackburn, and then it was yeah. a couple of years later that you're, you're in the first team and making your debut against Newcastle. Yeah, it was just under a couple of years because I signed, when I signed the apprenticeship form, I was nearly 17 anyway. And then they had to decide on your 18th birthday 
whether it was going to give you professional forms or not, and the 18 that did do. Uh, but in them days, there was two ways of signing it. I can't remember exactly how it's worded. It was something if you sign a PF, um, where you had to sign a football league one to play in the football league. But I'd signed one where I couldn't play in the football league, but I could be a professional. And um, But to the, sign the football league one, the football club had to pay me £250. And uh, at the time, Blackburn was struggling, so they just gave me the professional form. And that was one of the funny things that happened, because Jim Smith, I've, I've been an apprentice, and Jim Smith, the last game of the season for the first team was away at Southampton. We wasn't going anywhere, so he said, right, I'm putting you in the squad and taking you to Southampton and putting you on the bench, and you'll more than likely come on. And this was on the Thursday, and the team was leaving on the Friday to go to Southampton. And I said to him, well, I can't go because I haven't signed the right forms. And Jim Smith didn't know this. The manager didn't know. So the secretary, to put it nicely, got a right tallying off. <laughs> but I wasn't able to go with him to make my debut. So you did make your debut, though, what, I guess, then a week or two later? Um, yeah, something like that. I can't honestly remember when it was. It was, well... Both of the games was at St James's Park, one against Exeter and one against Newcastle. So it's uh, both at St James's Park, yeah. Uh, Newcastle, I think I come on as a sub. I keep thinking back years now, I mean, people ask me about debut and this and that and clubs I played for and all that. And I do struggle to remember dates for that. It suddenly turns around and says to me, I don't know, you scored against... Um, I don't know, Burnley, our arch rivals. Yeah. I could not tell them what the date was. All I can tell them is I remember exactly how the goals went in and out of all the goals I scored in my career, I can more or less describe nearly every one of them, but not what the dates were. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you can you remember on your debut, were you nervous going into, that, into, your, into your debut? No, I wasn't, no. I mean... Lucky, I don't know if that's the right word. I didn't use to get nervous. Going out onto a football field, once you cross the white line, a lot of players are nervous. If it's the first game, yeah, if yeah. it's the 100th to 200th game, you see them in the dressing room before the game. And some are a bag of nerves until we get out there. But I was never, never nervous before a football game, no. And once I got out there, I was fine. Now, you went on to make over 500 appearances for Blackburn. Scoring yeah. just just shy of two hundred goals. What made that club so special to you? Well, basically, they gave me a chance. They signed me as an apprentice, um, and I was grateful for that. And they gave me the chance of first team football. And through the bad times and the good times at the football club, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed everything about Blackburn. We had a tight knit team. We all got on really well. Even from the manager downwards, he got on well with his players. Obviously, you get telling off now and again, week in week, not week in, week out, but if you lose a game and you play badly, you're going to get a telling off, to put it nicely. And we used to do sometimes, but the manager always used to back the team. The team was very tight-knit. We all stuck together. And over 500 games, I'm proud of. Breaking the scoring record, obviously, I'm very proud of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, but... A lot of people ask me nowadays, why did you never move on? And 
a simple answer is in them days, it's not like it is nowadays. There's no agents in them days. Blackburn always promised to tell me if a football club came in for me. So I was under the contract. You just can't go and walk in and say, well, I don't want to transfer. I want to be out of this football club. I'm better. Never used to do that. I believe Blackburn would tell me if a football club wanted to sign me. So I was happy there. And if they turned around and said somebody wanted to sign me, I'd have had a long think about it and it would have had to um, improve my career. It would have to be another step up to a, to the top division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the club, while you were there, obviously you were there 14 years or so, transformed massively from oh, the beginning to obviously when the Jack Walker days. What did you enjoy about those early years? Because I'm guessing like the early years would have been very, very different to obviously once Jack oh, Walker money come. But what did you enjoy about those early years? It was just the fun we used to have. Like I said before, we was very tight-knit as a football team. We all got on well. We was all down to earth. Um, and we used to have some good times together. In them days, we had a squad of about 15 or 16 players. It wasn't a massive squad. Um, everybody knew each other. They knew what they could do on the football field and what they couldn't do. And off the football field, we knew what we could do and couldn't do as well. So we, got, we just got on really, really well. We had some really tough times at Blackburn. There was... Times when there was no money at the football club. Um, I think it was once or twice we didn't get paid. But we just kept on with it because we wanted to be at Blackburn Rollers because it was a good club to play for. And I guess times like that really gels, can gel a squad together, right? When you, oh, it does. When you go yeah, it does time. Yeah. I mean, we never had somebody who said, well, I'm, I'm too big for this football club. Um, I'm on a year just to... It's a stepping stone in my career. We never had people like that. And okay, I was young, but we had experienced players in the dressing room. I mean, there was Derek Fazakli and Tony Parks who've been at the football club for a long, long time. And if anybody got out of order, them two would bring them down to earth straight away and say, hang on a minute here. Yeah. And they would be the ones who would tell them players. Now, reading the book, you didn't always have it easy at Blackburn. I like Howard Howard Kendall made it clear you you yeah, weren't yeah. necessarily for him. Um yeah. he obviously played under several managers at Blackburn. And I guess each time a new manager comes in, you've always got to try and prove yourself. What was your most enjoyable period? And I guess which manager at Blackburn did you feel got the best out of you? Bobby Saxton, by a long way. Um down to earth Yorkshireman. He played me quite regular, obviously. Uh, he had his own idea how he wanted to play the game. It was a good way. We enjoyed his training. It was at a time when there was hardly any money at the football club. But he pulled us through it. He got us winning football games. He didn't let things that was happening in the background, he wasn't interested in. He made sure it didn't affect us on the pitch or things like that. And he was brilliant with my career. I mean, even he dropped me a couple of times. And I thanked him for dropping me because I'd be going through a bad patch. I wouldn't knock on his door and say, why am I not playing or anything like that? He was just a joy to work with. Bobby Saxton was definitely a Blackburn. Love that. Love that. Now, in the book, there are some great insights about you. You mentioned when you, you were describing the book at the beginning, some of the, the big names that have obviously contributed to the book. 
yeah. um, from former players and, and teammates. And for me, as I was reading it, there was like three common traits that I felt come up to describe Simon Garner. <laughs> One was that you're a character. <laughs> Two, you don't necessarily live the perfect lifestyle. <laughs> and three, you're an outstanding goal scorer. Do you say that's a fair summary? That is a fair summary. I mean, um, uh, I put outstanding goal scorers number one, <laughs> character number two, and yes, I didn't live the perfect life the way the footballer should have done. I mean, okay, I like to be and I like to smoke. Um, that's the way I was. It got me in trouble when I was young, when I was an apprentice. Um I had a story where John Pickering, the youth team and reserve team manager, he said, I'm going to tell the manager about you smoking, you shouldn't be doing this. I got sent into Jim Smith, was still the manager. I got sent to his office and Jim was sat the other side and he um, he just said, look, Simon, if you're going to smoke, smoke, but don't let the coach know that you're smoking. Do it away from the ground. I said, and I stuck by that and I did that. So, uh, and yes, I used to like, to have a pint after the game of football. That's the way I was. Um, who knows? Perhaps I'd lived a healthy life and whatever. I wouldn't have got to where I got to goal scoring and playing-wise. Who knows? I mean, I think Kenny Dalgleish put a bit in the book saying that that's the way he was. Would he have been any better? He didn't know. He wasn't sure whether I would have been or not. So, and funny enough, as a, as a club progressed... And we were signing players, I don't know, uh, I can't remember who signed him now. We signed Duncan McKenzie, the ex-Everton player, who came to the club, he reckons he could jump a mini and throw a golf ball the length of a football field and stuff like that. But the first thing I liked about him was he smoked. So we used to be down the back of the coach, going away to away games and me and him be having a cigarette. And I was still a bit younger, so I could get away with it a bit more. And uh, I never used to get told off so much. So, and there's a few smokers during my career. There was a few smokers in the team, not a lot. I mean, two or three, um, at the most, three smokers in the football team. But uh, I was a, I suppose I was a consistent smoker, let's put it like that. But as you put in your book as well, you didn't really get any injuries, right? And you look at, you look at football today. And you would say it'd be the polar opposite in terms of the way footballers will lead their lifestyles. Oh yes, but injuries are to a you know they're to a penny these days. Yeah, to a penny nowadays. You look I mean, back at those days in the early eighties, and uh, and I've said this to other footballers that that play for Windsor um, that I've interviewed, but you know you look back at the the appearance records in like the programs and everyone's played like 50 60 games no one ever got in seemed to never ever get injured in those days no they didn't seem to i mean and um you used to get kicked to bits as well i mean mm. everybody kick each other in a football game whoever you're playing against nowadays they don't get kicked too much i, I think this might sound a bit strange but the levels of fitness nowadays in football are so high that if they and I think they're overworked I think they play too many matches yeah. and the chances of getting an injury especially pulling a muscle or something like that are a lot higher from in my day we, we weren't playing two, three games a week like they are nowadays and 
hardly getting a break in the summer. If they're internationals as well, they go away. They're playing football. Some of these top players are playing 11 months of the year. Yeah. yeah hardly yeah. getting a break. And in our day, we used to get a bit of a break. And that's perhaps why. And I didn't run around that much to pull any muscles anyway. Now, when you look back at your your Blackburn career, you obviously had games at Wembley, um, breaking the all-time record goal scoring. What were your personal, most memorable personal highlights for you? Personal, well, well, the main one is breaking the record. Yeah. Against Man City, the day I did it against Manchester City. Breaking the record was the biggest highlight. Um after that, I mean, you can go back and say becoming a professional footballer at Blackburn, mm-hmm. right at the start, making your first team debut, still don't remember much about it, scoring my first goals, two away at Fulham on a Friday night, remember them. Uh, don't remember the date, but I remember I scored them as well. But I just enjoyed, especially playing at Blackburn. Um, I came from a down-to-earth working class background. I understood I understood how I mean in those days it's not like it as expensive as nowadays, but they're still working hard all week. Yeah. And spending a good bit of the money in them days to watch a game of football. So you want to try and for 90 minutes you just want to get their minds off their jobs and hopefully let them leave the game where they've seen the team win and then go on with a smile. Like I said, for 90 minutes, they're just having a good time. The money's well spent. And I just wanted to do that. And that's what pleased me that I was I was taken in by the fans. Okay, I was scoring goals, but I was down to earth with them. I mixed with all the fans as well. I got on really well with the fans. Outside the ground, I would sign autographs, but I'd always stop and talk to them if they wanted to have a chat. And I just wanted to be to them to understand that I was with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that shows, right, you look at, you know, just from you publicising your book um, over the last few weeks, the the amount of comments that are left by Blackburn fans shows just how high regard, you know, you're you're kept up, you know, you're you're kept in up there in Blackburn. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm very grateful, always will be, that I'm remembered there. I mean... They still say that they chant my name at, at games. I'm not sure about that one. I don't think they get me mixed up with somebody else, but uh, it'd be nice if they did. But every time I, I don't go up there that often, um, I do a bit of commentary for BBC local radio, Lancashire, Radio Lancashire, when they play down south. I, I go and do a bit of summarising. I mean, I went to Watford this season to watch them. And... Um, I was stood outside, funny enough, before I went and I was stood outside having a cigarette and there was about seven or eight dozen Blackman fans came up to me at different times, remembered me, wanted a selfie with me, wanted to talk to me. It was great. It brings back great memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. I bet. Now, obviously, in the latter years is when Jack Walker and Kenny Dalglish came in. How quickly did, like, the fabric of the club change when, when Jack and Kenny came in? Well, Jack came in first before Kenny. Don Walker was still the manager. Don McKay, sorry, was the manager. Um, 
The big difference was Don wanted to sign big time players, well, big price players, and they wouldn't come partly because Don McCoy was a manager. As yeah. soon as Kenny Dalgleish came in, players wanted to sign for Danny, Kenny Dalgleish. They wanted to play for that football club. And that was a big difference. I mean, they spent a lot of money. Even in them days, it was a lot of money. But the squad, when we was used to a squad of 15 or 16 players, all of a sudden there's 24, 25 players at training. So you don't know what's going on. And you're thinking, well, personally, I was thinking to myself, am I going to get a game? I mean, Kenny was one of my heroes when I was growing up. And we played his first game in charge. He sat in the stand and watched the game. He let Tony Parks pick the team. We played Plymouth at home. I scored two screamers. I can't forget that day. I scored two screamers. I thought, are we all right for next week? And we got to the game the week after, and we're in the dressing room, and I wasn't even in the squad. I wasn't even on the bench. So it, you could tell straight away it didn't matter. I could have been a bit comfy in a way. I don't know if that's the right word. Knowing I was going to be playing week in, week out because of a small squad. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you get a big squad, and you've got to change the way you approach your training and things like that. You've got to work it hard every day in training. You can't laze around in training. You can't laugh, have a joke. It was it was taken very, very seriously when Kenny came in. I mean, one of the things he did straight away, stopped us wearing tracksuit bottoms in training. Then we used to have shorts that had pockets in, and he had the pockets sewn up and things like, just little things like that. He changed so much in the training. It was unbelievable. And that's the big difference you could see at a football club. Yeah. And how did the how did the how did players like you did you guys embrace that when all those changes? Yes, everybody embraced it. Um well you had to help you was out the door, mm. basically. You was out the squad anyway. Yeah, yeah. So you had to. Like I said, I, I used to worship Kenny Dogleash as a player. And I'd be at training and mesmerized listening to him. I was like a star stuck kid. <laughs> I'll be watching him as he's talking. I mean, he didn't take a lot of the training. His coach, Ray Arthur, did all the training. Kenny was just on the sidelines and he'd stop a practice game every now and again or a training session and say, hang on a minute, we should be doing this, doing that. But all the tactics was done by um, Ray Harford. And Kenny basically picked the team and that was it. And he was the spokesman, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the manager of the football club. He picked the team. He'd turn around and say to Ray, there's my team for whenever. Go and do what you need to do. How difficult was it when players like Shearer came in? Um, that was the one, really, that I knew. I mean, he'd signed quite a few strikers before that. The first signing, Mike Newell, great player. Yeah. Um, one of the best strike partners I played with. Then he signed Roy Wegley from QPR. Then he signed another striker. I can't remember what he was doing. There was about four of us there, four strikers. And then then this fella called Alan Shearer turned up and I thought, hang on a minute now. I'm not going to get much of a game here. <laughs> and uh, that's what happened. I mean, I wouldn't say I knew the writing was on the wall, but I knew I wouldn't be playing regular first-team football. Yeah. Went out had a chat with Kenny about it. And he, he, he was... Honest with me, he's straight and he's up front with me. He says, "Yeah, you you won't get. You'll be involved with the first team, 
you might be on the bench not regularly, but you might be on the bench now and again. And I had a, I had a year left on my contract, and I said, and I was 30, 31 years old, and I just wanted to still play football. Yeah. I didn't want to be sat in the stand every Saturday watching a game of football and just going into training Monday to Friday, knowing there's no game on a Saturday. So I had a chat with him and said it'd be better if I moved on. If he didn't, well, I didn't say I'd like to move on to a different club, knowing that West Bromwich Albion wanted to sign me at the time. And he said, fine, we had no arguments. We had a good chat about it. And we left on friendly terms and... Well, luckily, he put a bit in the book for me, so he, he must have thought something of me because Kenny's a hard man to get hold of. Yeah, 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 no, totally. But I guess, you know, even though that's clearly very, very difficult to be on the end of, I guess, that conversation, I guess at least it was black and white. I guess you've probably got more respect for someone like Kenny if they're honest. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. He, he, he said it as it was. That's how he was all through when he was manager at Blackburn when I was there with him. He said it in black and white. He'd say, you're not in the squad. And that's it. He didn't, he didn't have to give you a reason, but he would give you a reason why yeah. he did it. And we had a, it was a man-to-man, a friend-to-friend in a way. You could say it was a friendly chat. And we left and parted on great terms. And um, no, he was a brilliant manager for Blackman Rovers. And uh, luckily, Jack Walker got him in there. And the results, well... Won the premiership, so you can't say anything about it. Perhaps he was better letting me go. <laughs> how uh, how relieved were you when Shearer signed for Newcastle? Uh, very relieved. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, he got he, unfortunately for him as well. He got a couple of bad injuries at Blackburn. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he missed quite a few games. Um, but deep down, I was very pleased when he signed for Newcastle because. If he'd have carried on at Blackman for another two seasons, I think he'd have been very, very close or definitely would have broke my record. So I was very pleased he left. <laughs> How emotional was it when you when you moved to, to West Brom? Um, it wasn't too bad to start with. I mean, the only time I felt emotional about it was our first game, first friendly at West Brom was against Blackman. All <laughs> um, right, typical. And, and yeah, and I scored as well for West Brom on my debut for uh, West Brom, and I scored against Blackman. Uh, uh, so that was that was emotional. Obviously, I got a great welcome from the Blackman fans as well as the West Brom fans. And West Brom are a really well supported football club, and um, I got a great reception from them. But plus, Blackman had a good following that day, and I got a great reception off them. And when I scored the goals, yeah, I put my arms up to the West Brom fans, but not over-celebrating. It was a friendly anyway. Yeah, yeah. But then all of a sudden, Mr Shearer had to turn around and score two goals, didn't he? So <laughs> that ruined the day a bit for me. <laughs> was it difficult to adapt to a new club? Like after 14 years at Blackburn? How easy To start with, that? yes. It, it was difficult. I mean, the players were great. As soon as I got there, the players was great with me. Fitted in well with all the players there. Um, different surroundings, yes. Going for 14 years to the same place every day, to the same ground, to the same training place, you get used to it. Whereas at West Brom, it all changed. And 
many a times I got lost on the way to the training ground and things like that. But uh, luckily, it was a great set of lads. The players were brilliant. That set to me straight away. We all got on great. And uh, I settled in really quickly. Now, post West Brom, you you made the move to Wickham under Martin O'Neill. What was what was Martin like to play under? Unbelievable. He was brilliant. I mean, I said Bobby Saxton, obviously the best manager I played for at Blackburn. Um, if I had to pick the best manager I ever played under, I'd have to put them two equal at the top of the list. I can't pick between Bobby Saxton and Martin O'Neill. What made Martin, Martin special? Yeah, uh, Martin completely different to Bobby. I don't know if it's because he played for Nottingham Forest on the Brian Club. I don't know. Um, down to earth, Martin was. Said it as it was. Um, he was just, his knowledge of football was unreal. He could come into a dressing room before a game and rip into every player in that dressing room and we'd get a result. Or the week after, you'd be sat there thinking, oh, he's going to have a go at everybody. It'd be nice as pie and we'd still get a result. His man management was unbelievable. And he had the best man management of any manager I played under. He was a joy to play for. Um, he was just exceptional. It's just how to, how to put it into words. Little things he used to do at the football club. Um, we'd get beat on a... Sadly, 3-0. And at the time, I was playing up front with Sewell Regis, the late Sewell. And um, we used to travel in together from Birmingham. And we finished on the Saturday. And we got beat 3-0. He'd turn around and say to me and Sewell, I'll see you next Thursday. You don't need to come into training until next Thursday. Then the week after, if you would have told 2 or 3-0 or wherever it was, He'd turn around and say to everybody, well played, but we're coming in for training tomorrow morning. And he'd make us go in on a Sunday when we won again. You could never predict what Martin was going to do. He was that sort of fellow. He just, you just wondering what he's going to turn around and say or do. But he was a brilliant, brilliant man management. Man management manager. MMM. Now, a few of those Wickham lads went on to play for Windsor at the, towards the end of their career. One of them was Dave Carroll. Um, who was a legend down at Windsor. Like, how good a player was Dave Carroll? Dave Carroll was unbelievable. There was nothing to him. Yeah. He had nothing on his body. Skin and bone, really. Um, when I got to Wickham, it wasn't just him. There was players there who had been playing non-league football yeah. the year, year before I signed. And the way they took to the football league and turning pro as well. I mean, a lot. there was all part time until I got promotion and you see as soon as I got there and I started training with them okay there's there's two or three players who had played professional football full time yeah but the majority of the squad had just signed full time they've been part time all the career but on the training ground you couldn't tell the difference I and mean, Dave Carroll was special he was a great footballer he had a great pair of feet great knowledge of the game and there's quite a few of them at the club which surprised me we had Steve Guppy as well yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like the centre-back, Glenn Creaser, he was 34 
and he gave up his job. He, he worked at John Lewis for 20 odd years, gave up his job at John Lewis just to have a go at being a professional footballer. I think he lasted one season, got injured, and had to finish. But that's the sort of lads that were. They wanted to be a professional footballer. But Dave Coles is a bit special, definitely. Now, listen, <laughs> after Wickham, you went to Woking. Um, yes. Didn't work out. Didn't work out. You then obviously served a period of time in prison, which you, you talk about yes. in, yeah. in the book. When you came out of prison, did that did that period inside give you, like given you were at the back end of your career, did that yeah. period inside give you kind of renewed energy to carry on playing once you were released? Yeah, I still wanted to play football. I mean, I never wanted to give up football. Any ask any ex-professional footballer, they never ever want to come to the end of the career. They never want to turn around and say, I've got to stop. My body won't yeah. take it anymore. Your head struggles to accept it. Um, not so much being in prison gave me the, the desire. I just wanted to keep playing football as soon as left. As soon as left the professional game, then I went to walking and that's when it happened when I got sent to prison. I just wanted to play football, part-time football. Yeah, Knew I had to find a job as well. But uh, even the job, I would make sure I could still play my football and fit in the football. And that was when you, on your release, was when you signed for Wildstone, right? Uh, yes, it was, yeah. It was. Gordon Bartlett got in touch with me. And um, I met up with him. He sold the club to me. We hardly discussed money at all, what they was going to pay me. I wasn't interested. I just wanted to play football. He seemed like a really nice fella. Went to a football club who had nowhere to play, who was sharing a ground. Yeah. Um, but he had a good squad there as well. He had some good, good players who could have played a step up at the time. And uh, it's funny, every football club I played for, the team spirit at every club was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Small, tight squads, but everybody got on really well. You never had a big-time Charlie. And if anybody tried to be a big-time Charlie, they got brought down straight away. They were shot down in flames, and either they'd be out of football club by the manager or the, the players would just turn around and say, look, you've got to calm down a bit here. You're just one of the squad. You're one of the lads. And that's how it was at Wheelstone, a great set of lads again. It was unbelievable. How did you find adapting to the level? Because I guess you'd gone from Wickham, which would have been League Two, I guess Woking, yeah, um, and then Wilston was a couple of leagues below. Yeah, it was. I mean, I mean, Woking, I never played the game. I don't know why that manager signed me. <laughs> <laughs> even before I got sent to prison, I mean, no. I didn't even play one first-team game for him. He was going to let me go. So uh, um, I enjoyed it. I mean, yes, my legs was getting a bit older. But yeah. you can read the game a lot easier. Um, I just enjoyed it. I mean, you've learned a few tricks, obviously, during your career as a professional footballer. So I, I, I just, I got used to it really quickly. I got used to non-league football, playing on bad pitches or whatever, and uh, just got on with it and really enjoyed it because I was with, like I've said before, I was with a group of lads who were good footballers and good lads to be around. So I really enjoyed it. And from there, you obviously came to Windsor and came to Stag Meadow. Yeah. How did the move to Windsor come about? 
Um, uh, I'd, the season had finished at Willstone, and I didn't know whether I was going to be taken on again. Um, I didn't know. Then Windsor got in touch with me, asked me if I'd be interested. So I went and had a chat there. I can't remember. Was it Alan Smith, the manager? I can't, Alan Davis. Alan Davis, that's it. Oh, I'm thinking of that other stupid person at Wickham there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Alan Davis, yeah. I went and had a chat with Alan. Like the fella, got him really well. Um, then I thought, well, travelling-wise, I think Windsor and Eaton were one or two leagues below Wheelstone. I'm not sure. Mm, yeah. But like what he said about the football club, a nice little ground. Offered me whatever he offered me. I said, "Yeah, I'll take it." I said, "Don't worry about not. Don't worry about the money. I'm not here to talk about the money. I want to sign for the football club. Sign for the club. Um, never heard anything well from Wheelstone at all. Presume they didn't want to sign me back on. So I signed. Obviously, that yeah. was part of the decision to sign for Windsor. And it cut down on the travelling as well. I mean, I was living in Maidenhead. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. only around the corner to get to Windsor, so that was fine by me. And once again, get there, another great set of lads there. Great set of players. And I enjoyed it. And that was a good pitch at the time as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a good playing surface. Dennis Dennis Green's hair. Were you any responsible for Greenie turning up with that peroxide blonde hair? Not at all. Not at all. I mean... I think some of the lads would have liked to shave it off. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dennis was Dennis. He'd do what he wanted to do. He was an absolute idiot. <laughs> but he was a good lad as well. He's a great lad to have around, but he was just off the scale at being stupid. <laughs> he, he wasn't a bad footballer, though. Very good footballer. Very good footballer. Yeah. Now, one of your highlights at Windsor was scoring those four goals against Northwood when we won 7-0. Can you remember mm. that game? Roughly. I can't tell you how I put them in. <laughs> I can remember scoring four in the game, yeah. Yeah. And funny enough, I didn't... I scored a few hat-tricks in my career, but I didn't score four many times. Yeah. There's a couple of times I scored five in a game once. I scored one or twice, I scored four. But no, there wasn't that many times I scored four goals. Now, you ended your playing days at Flackwell. Um Yeah. What was like? Was that tough when you finally called it a day? Very or tough. You, or did you know? Um, that, did you know the time was right? I knew the time was right because it was the last game of the season. We played at home, and after the game, I just felt I was absolutely whacked. To put it nicely, I was done for, and I just decided there and then. I said, "I've got to make a decision here." Obviously. I had to get up for work and stuff like that. If you played a midweek game away from home or something like that, you're not getting back till 11 o'clock. You've got to go to work the day after. It was tough, tough on the body. And I just, after that last game, I thought, I can't do this anymore. I want to do it. I'd have carried on playing for as long as I could have done, but my body said no. So I just had to accept it. And I, I saw the manager straight away. I said, look, don't look at me signing on next season. That's me done for. I'm finished. And he took it really well. And it was great. And had a few pints in the bar. And off I went. And, you know, I just got on with it after that. I put it out of my mind. At the start of the next season, I didn't think to myself, have I made the right decision? 
have I done the right thing here? I've made my mind up that day and I yeah. stuck by it and that was it. Do you miss it now? Miss it all the time. Miss it all the time in football. Playing football, I miss it every day. But I know, like I said, I knew my time was up. But yeah, having done it for professionally for 18 and 19 years, definitely miss it. It's just, it's what every kid, every boy, well, 90% of boys want to do. They want to be a professional yeah, footballer. Yeah, yeah. From my time, well, from years and years before me, and even nowadays. And uh, I feel so lucky I had the chance for, to do it for so long. Like you said earlier, I was lucky not getting injured that much. Uh, that was a good thing about it. Yeah. But I just loved every minute of being a footballer and think everybody does if they've got the chance to do it. And I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change a thing about it. When you look back at the the latter part of your career, so like the non-league days, did you feel in a way that it ever took you back to some of those early days at Blackburn? Just the way that non-league football was, the camaraderie? Well, it does. I mean, not so much Blackburn. It takes me back to before Blackburn, when I was still at school. Because my dad used to run a football team. He used to run an under-16 and an under-18 football team. So... I was always around my dad and we always used to go on a Sunday morning and was always involved with football. And um, so playing non-league, it, okay, they weren't non-league, it was just a Sunday league with under yeah. 16s, under 18s, but I knew how it worked, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And it, I just loved it. it. To me, it was brilliant. I love playing non-league football as much as what I did playing professional football. One, I was lucky enough to still be able to do it. And my body would let me do it. So, no, I love doing it. I love playing non-league. And also, you know, there was a lot of players. Obviously, I can only really talk about Windsor. But there were a lot of players that learned so much from playing with the likes of yourself, right? So yeah. the fact that you, you were able to come into non-league football and actually you were giving back so much to up-and-coming youngsters. Um, all right, they may not have... Uh, Learned too much on the lifestyle, but you know, <laughs> what they would have yeah, learned lifestyle you on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I did. I mean, I, when I finished playing, I was never going to be a coach or a manager. That yep. wasn't me at all. I didn't want to do it. But if, if I could go to a club like Windsor, help some of the young kids, just have a word in their ear now and again, saying, instead of doing that, why don't you do that? Just little things, not yep. standing them still and saying, right. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Just give them a bit of advice. I used to like giving just little bits of advice, not ramming it down the throat, just having a quiet word and saying, why don't you just do that or do that with that? And that's how I used to do it. And I used to enjoy doing that. Right. I'm now going to close with just a few quick fire questions. I do this on every podcast. Um, and because a okay. quick fire doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be easy. Um, uh -huh. You have already answered one of them, um, but bet your best strike partner through your whole career. Who is the best, the best strike partner? Mike Newell. No, my mate. Hang on a minute. I've got Mike <laughs> Newell. I've got Sue Regis. <laughs> I told you it wasn't easy. 
It's not easy. Right, if I've got to pick one, I'm going to say Cyril Regis. And why is that? Why is, why is that? He was older than me, playing at Wickham. <laughs> he was a year older. <laughs> All right. He, he was an unbelievable man. Who is the... Uh, and, and the answer to this could still be Cyril as well, but who is the best player you played with? So it could be goalkeeper, defender, midfielder, striker, but who's the oh, best um, player you played with? Oh, Scott Sellers, a lad at Blackburn, the player, midfield player, one of the best left foots I ever saw. Scott Sellers, favorite goal, the one that broke the record against Man City. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe that and, any, and, and any other goal I scored against Burnley. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that comes through in the book very clearly, your love affair with Burnley. Yeah. Uh, toughest defender? Alan Hansen at Liverpool. Ooh. We played him in the FA Cup. I think FA Cup, I think I played against him in the League Cup as well. And unbelievable. It he, he didn't look like he could run. It's just his positioning and he was good on the ball as well. If he was still playing, if he was playing nowadays, he'd be a top player. And that he was unbelievable. He could read the game so well. Like I said, he didn't have the best pace, but what a great footballer, yeah. Uh, this is one you've already answered, best manager played under, although I could be cruel and make you choose between Bobby Saxton and Martin O'Neill. If you made me choose, I'd go... Oh, no. <laughs> I go for Martin O'Neill because he gave me my chance at the end of my career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good choice. All right, final question. How do you think you'd have fared in football today? So how would Simon Garner have fared in football in the Premier League today? I'd have found it tough. One, the fitness-wise. Yeah. I was never... All right, I can laugh and joke about the smoking and the drinking. Mm. Even without that, I wasn't the fittest of footballers. I found training very, very hard. Um, any sort of distance running over 50 or 60 metres, I couldn't do it. I was just a flop, but over 10 yards, I could beat anybody. Uh, I think I find it very tough in the Premier League nowadays. I'd like to think I could live with it, and I still think I'd score goals, but the fitness level is unbelievable. And oh, the diets as well. Couldn't do that. <laughs> Simon, thank you so much. I've genuinely, I've really enjoyed tonight. Um, thank you. It's been a pleasure, Mark. And listen to um, all of you that have downloaded. Thank you once again. Please do check out Simon's book, which is www.simongarnerbook.co.uk. I think I've got that right, That's Simon. It. Um, you have, thank I'll put you. The link in the uh, in in the podcast description. And I'll be back again in a few weeks with another guest.